Today on episode number 445 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, PKM Reboot with Dave Stahoviak. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Dave, thanks for joining me once again on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. And for those who have never heard of Dave before, Dave and I met, when I'm not going that deep here, but Dave and I met when we were in graduate school. We did. Starting our master's program, actually fairly halfway through our master's program, something like that. Something like that. Team building class. A team building class. And of course, when you're going through a program like that, you do a lot of personal knowledge management or in some cases, mastery, that sense of personal vision and all of that. So we've done a number of episodes on PKM in the past, and we're doing sort of a reboot. And what's changed, although we'll still, as we go, if you've never heard of PKM before, we'll, we'll at least get you, get you started with some of this terminology. The person I've learned the most about personal knowledge mastery is Harold Jarkey, and I'll link to Harold Jarkey was on the show a couple of years ago, I believe that it was, and I just continue to get so much out of his work. And of course, Dave and I teach each other a lot as well, and and we kind of geek out together on some technology tools that we can use to do what Harold Jarkey's definition of PKM is, which is to seek, to sense, and to share. So Dave and I will be talking about some of the practices having to do with going out and seeking reliable, trustworthy information that we can then transform into knowledge, making sense of that information and knowledge, wrestling with it, growing a network of knowledge over time, and then sharing what are the different ways that we might share what it is that we're learning and wrestling with over time. And as always, we will end today's episode with recommendations. So let's begin having a look at SEEK. And Dave, boy, I we were sort of talking about before we started recording, we're going to mention Twitter. And then as soon as we stop recording, something will drastically change about Twitter. So for those of you not aware, this social network was purchased by a billionaire and then all just burned to the ground. Not not quite, but there's been vacillations on almost a daily basis of this particular network. So Dave, I know you were mentioning that things are, you've even just noticed a little bit of a change in, in how things look every time you log into Twitter. Yeah. And I, this is, we're recording this a little bit before we air it. And so who knows what has happened in the news since then. But it, outside of the current stuff that's going on at Twitter, which is way oversimplifying, but whenever something like that happens major with any kind of platform you use, I think it's natural to evaluate it in your learning and in the time and resources. And I've been using, I, I have, I use Twitter very passively, as in I use it to notice and see and capture information. I don't post a lot on Twitter, unlike you, Bonnie, who use it much more actively than I do. But one of the things that this is all this change has caused me to do in the last few weeks is to just reevaluate how I'm using Twitter and notice how I'm using it with a little more intentionality than I have in the past. And one of the things I realized, if you had asked me a few weeks ago, like how many things are you seeing on Twitter that are not things that you follow intentionally? 
I would have said, yeah, maybe it's five or ten percent. And I've realized in recent weeks that that numbers that percentage is way higher than I thought it was. As I start to notice like what gets surfaced to me, there's so many things on Twitter that get surfaced. I use the web op, web app most oftenly for Twitter. There's so many things that get surfaced that are not people I follow because it's like, oh, because you follow this person, you might be interested in this. Most of the time I'm not, but that's what gets put in my feed and the advertisements. And I think that number's like 30 or 40% now, it seems like. And I've realized that in recent weeks and thinking about like, okay, do I continue to utilize Twitter? Do I potentially look at one of these other platforms. And I don't know where I'm going to land on that yet, but I think that it's just helpful to think about where are you sourcing information from and where are you opening yourself up to the world? And this is just me talking to myself. And are you willing to put up with all that noise? And the answer for me has been, yes, historically with Twitter, I'm willing to put up with the noise. I'm not sure I'm going to make that same choice going forward now that some of these other services are emerging and people maybe are going different directions. So it's an open question for me, but I think it's just worth asking the question of, and I think for any of us noticing whether it is Twitter or whether it is RSS or whether it is Facebook or whatever, like are the things that you're seeing there regularly really adding value to your life? And is it worth the whatever the trade-off is? Because there's always a trade-off. Either you're paying something or you're seeing ads or something's happening. Is it worth the trade-off? And that's where I'm at with Twitter at the moment and trying to make that decision and haven't made that decision yet. There are a number of people who have started to navigate either away from Twitter and to a service called Mastodon, or they are recommending and deciding to live and use the affordances of both places. And I have started to bookmark and collect information. I'll put a couple of the most interesting or or seemingly simple to use resources on Mastodon in case any of you are in a similar boat as Dave and I thinking about moving over there or or having that as another place that we go. And I just have found, I just started bookmarking. By the way, the bookmarking service that I use is called raindrop.io. We'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but how nice it is where I don't have to instantly decide, hey, I'm bailing out of this thing after spending years to fine tune a network that I really value a lot. I get a lot of good information while also the, the, opportunity cost seems, the calculation on that seems to have changed rather drastically in recent weeks and months. The other thing I wanted to mention is I use an RSS that stands for Real Simple Syndication. It's basically the dream where you can create your own custom newsletter that gets exactly what sources you want and you can fine tune it. I continue to really like InnoReader. The thing I would like to do over the next couple months is to fine-tune InnoRaider even more such that I, a lot of times I'll subscribe to an RSS feed that contains not just blog posts and articles, but it contains links to the entity's podcasts, which I don't want to listen to on my RSS. So I'd like to kind of trip it out a little, trick it out, trip it out, trip it out a little bit so that it automatically goes through and says, oh, if it's mentioning X podcast, just don't include that. So there's a lot more fancy stuff I could do with InnoReader that I haven't even touched. So it's nice. to I love tools where you can get started super simply. And then over years, Every little bit more that you learn, you can even maximize more value out of it. 
I have two other seek areas that are also big ways that I bring in information. One of them is reading, of course. And the way that I typically do that is when I'm reading, I am highlighting. And there are people that would say that that's insufficient and not the best way to do it, and you should be jotting down notes, but it works for me. And so if I'm reading on a book that's published, I often will read on Kindle and use their highlighting system, and then that can be brought into other stuff, which we probably will talk about in a bit. If I'm reading something that is not publicly available, I am sometimes reading reviews. I'm often reading review copies of books for my own podcast. And so I am most often actually reading things on PDF, which I realize isn't typical, but for others who are, I will highlight on PDF. I use a software on the Mac called DevonThink to sync highlights and to be able to surface those later. The other place where I take in a lot of information is through conversation. So my work in doing leadership development is I'm spending a lot of time in small group sessions with our clients. And I often, the starting point for ideas, for my work, for things I'm writing, for podcast episodes I'm thinking about are personal conversations that I'm having in client interactions. And so I have a checklist at the end of every client meeting that I run. And one of the items on that checklist is to capture any ideas that came out of that conversation that might be future places to explore in an article, in a podcast episode, or whatever the medium is. And it's a very simple thing. I already have a dedicated practice to run a checklist after every session. So I recently added that in. And then I capture ideas that have come out of those conversations that in the future might be things that would be helpful to other people. So that's a big part of my seeking out information. The next component of Harold Darkey's definition of PKM is sense. And I believe both of us are either starting to or have moved away from an application or a service that we've recommended in the past called Readwise that takes all of those highlights from PDFs or from your Kindle books or other types of sources and then essentially does a form of retrieval practice for you if that's how you would like to use it where it'll pull up your quotes. You can assign favorite highlights and quotes to to various things that pop up and It will also provide you with a beautiful graphic that you could post on a social media that has the quote in a in a graphic. You change the colors and the background and all that stuff. And I think ultimately, we're not going to spend too much time talking about it today because things do change pretty quickly, but just the value for us overall, not quite equating to the cost that they're that they're charging and and feeling like there may be other avenues that are working better. So well, and I maybe I could say a little more about that because I I didn't know you weren't using it as much. The reason I moved away from it actually has nothing to do with the service at all. I think it's an amazing service. I recommend it all the time. I think, in fact, I've thought about keeping it myself. I read so many review copies of books. And so I actually can't read on Kindle often. I mean, my life is so hard, right? I get review copies of books. But Readwise really works with kind of those systems, those existing ecosystems. And there are ways you can do it with PDFs, but it starts to get a lot more cumbersome. And I've just decided I want to have control and ownership over my files and materials, and I want to upload them somewhere. And so that just for me personally, Readwise hasn't been as useful as it was originally when I set it up. But I think for the typical person who's doing a lot more reading of published books, which almost everyone is, I think Readwise is an amazing service to look at. And Raindrop is a digital bookmarking service 
And I use it all the time, every single day, whether I am looking at something on my phone or my tablet or on the computer, on a web browser of any kind, how easy it is to just say, save this thing and give it the following tags. Sometimes those tags are related to classes that I teach the class name and number, or oftentimes they are class names and also topics. I like to include in the notes what's called H slash T, otherwise known as hat tip. Where did I hear about this from? Because that's often, Dave, you were talking about those conversations and those connections as far as seek. I like to remember that, oh, I heard about that from this person because those might come up in future conversations too. So, and David, I know we've talked about this before on the show, but I just love that we have a kid's cue on Raindrop. So anything that we see that the kids might benefit from reading or watching, then whoever it is that goes through the kid's cue on them, it's pretty, pretty nice and easy to be able to do that with Raindrop. Anything else you'd like to add about the value of Raindrop? It's really a powerful service and I think I underutilize it, although I do use a lot of things with it. And I I use this both for Seek and Sense. I used to have two separate services. I used to have a place where I captured stuff when I was looking at things online, like I would capture it into Instapaper I used for years. And then when I processed it there, once a week, I'd go through and I'd look at all the articles and I'd pass along some to clients in a weekly guide update, which we'll talk about more in a bit. But I decided I didn't need separate services, and then I would put it in a bookmarking service. And I've just decided like that should all just be in the same place. Raindrop is really great of having little web clipper icons and applets that you can use in different places to capture stuff easily. So the way I do it now is, as I'm finding stuff online regularly, I just capture it into Raindrop, and it captures it into one list. And then once a week, I go in and I look through that whole list, and I look at what I've captured in the last week, what, and I will delete things out of there because I'm like, eh, I saw this online. I didn't have a chance to read it. And then I started reading it. I got a few paragraphs into it and I'm like, this isn't relevant for whatever reason. So I'll delete it. Or I'll see something like, ooh, that would be really good for me to include in one of my client update messages that I send out with resources every week. And then if I do that, then I tag it. Then I put it into my public list. And you can, if you want to, on Raindrop, make a list that's available publicly. I have decided to do this. And so the people who follow my work can access my own personal library. And I have a couple thousand things in there that I've tagged. And that once I've processed it, then show up there in Raindrop. And I can do that all in the same place. So for me, that's been worth it just to have that one system where I can capture things easily. And it can be just a portion of your your bookmark. So you don't have to share the kids queue if you didn't want to share it with the world. You can oh, just yeah, have yeah. different different collections, they call them, and say, I just want to share this collection publicly or these three collections publicly, but I don't want to share these other things. It's pretty flexible that way. And I they recently came out with the ability to do highlights somewhat over top of your articles as you read them. And I was trying to show someone that I work with how to do it and I couldn't even remember how to do it. So I just I find that I don't I tend to highlight a lot when I'm reading books, like you were talking about, Dave, but not as much when I am highlighting online materials. And maybe someday I'll decide I want to get better at that. But so far, I haven't really used that feature. But it's kind of cool that they're constantly updating it, making it better without making it overly cumbersome or complex. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, but I only highlight in books. Yeah. I don't I don't yeah. have the practice of yeah. highlighting articles, which maybe I should, but and I'm not reading like 
I'm not reading peer-reviewed primary research articles in my work most of the time anyway, so that's I think I would be I would have a really different practice if I was a tenured professor doing a lot of research on this. Like I would have a much different system than I do now. Well, and for me, if it's going to be some kind of researched writing, then that's going to take place in Zotero so that I can have the highlights in there and I can then properly cite. And we've got shows that we've done previously on Zotero. I still think it's, you know, great, great service. But yeah, if it's going to require citing and scholarly research, it's not going to be in Raindrop for sure. All right. So the another thing you were talking about, the sense making and the seeking taking place a lot in conversation. And I find that to be the same as well. And what I think is fascinating is that a lot of my conversation in recent years tends to take place a little bit more asynchronously. And I had Karen Caldwell on the show in the last month or so. And I we, I love how we had the conversation that day, but then we've just kept going back and forth to some new ideas that came and emerged out of that and things that we were thinking about it. And she recorded a video for me that extended some of what we were talking about. And then I used the service, which I've talked about previously, called Loom, that it's just so nice to have a service where you record, and this is where you can record your screen, your webcam, or both. And then literally as soon as you stop recording, you hear a little beep, and that's symbol, that's symbolic of you now have a link to that video in your clipboard. So that's how easy it is to capture. And I just, my colleague David Rhodes and I go back and forth a lot too with screencasted videos, just here's what I'm talking about over here and just being able to point it out. It's just, it's just really nice. So a lot of that sense making to me is in collaboration with people and sometimes just for necessity, time zone differences or what have you, it it happens more asynchronously. Does Loom still have a reduced price or free plan for academics? It does. Yeah. And I'll put a link to that. You So you sign up for the service and then you apply to get approved for their education plan and if you've got an edu then they they send it on through yeah that's awesome i mean it's it's a very inexpensive service even if you pay for it but i think for educators it's like absolutely worth looking at if you've not used a screen sharing or quick video service like that before it's really essential to my workflow as well you talked earlier dave about devon think and how it's helping you with seek how is it helping you with the sense making process yeah, I think the thing that I really like about DevonThink, which I won't spend too much time on because it's a Mac-only app and it's it's a little bit more of a power user thing, but it's you can pull up a PDF in DevonThink. And one thing I like to do is I can just open a pane and it says, show me just the highlights. And so I can look through and I can click through really easily and just see the highlights and the thing that I've read. And that for me is a starting point of thinking about what are the key points that I might want to ask an author about when I'm interviewing them. And so that's a big part of my workflow with it. The other thing that I like about DevonThink is it makes it really easy to search for not only ideas, but also specific mentions. If I think to myself, oh, I know this mention was somewhere in this book, but where am I going to find it in 275 pages? If I can do a quick search for it, then that's really easy to track down. And so all of that's in one place. And the other piece of it that's nice about it is it has a reading component to it as well. So for me, it's really easy because it has an iPad app. It's really easy to read on the iPad at night when I'm reading. And so it all syncs across, which makes it super easy. The final component of Harold Jarkey's definition of personal knowledge mastery is share. When he came on the podcast a while back, he 
he he sort of had nuance that I hadn't really had as profound or pronounced in the past for me. And that is that we don't always have to go public with our sharing. It's that what we're doing as we're wrestling through that sense-making process is having things that are shareable. Then that you can make that decision as to whether or not you share it, but things that could potentially be shareable. Although you and I, Dave, tend to be pretty public with how we share. So we each have podcasts. And yes, we had podcasts before. It was quite as much of a cliche as it is today. It's sort of funny. Everyone has one today. But we have your podcast, how, when did you start? 2011. Yeah, 2014 for me. So we've been at this for a while. And then we also share on a weekly, you call yours a weekly leadership guide, and I call mine a weekly update. And that is one way for me that I do my sense-making and sharing then in a public scale. We both use a service called ConvertKit, and I like it a lot. We switched me over somewhat recently when we finally decided that it was going to be worth the money. It was hard to make that switch because it's not the cheapest email service out there, but I really, really enjoy it. And Dave is so kind and gracious that even without me asking, he will go in and make sure I have a clean list of emails. And by that, like people, he'll take people out where maybe they subscribed, but they never even actually confirmed that subscription coming and stuff. So it's better for you if you have a clean email list. And the thing I thought was so funny is I had been experimenting with their feature called tagging. You can set it up in ConvertKit. And I think other email services do this as well, where if someone clicks on your link, let's say that you send out an email to people that are interested in your writing, and then you had a link to a book that you wrote, you could tag it Anyone who's clicked this link, give them the tag, you know, my book about whatever the topic is, so that you could have like, if you, instead of emailing your entire email list, you could email just the people who have been interested enough in that one book that you wrote to have clicked on a link at some point. And I have not gotten anywhere as fancy as you have, Dave, on tagging. You've got all, you've got it decked up and dialed in. I've done nothing. So I just was going to try to experiment with it once. And I had sent out a humorous video about something called Rick Rolling, which is where you get someone to inadvertently click on a link that will take them to Rick Astley's song called Never Gonna Give You Up. And my colleagues and I are constantly playing tricks on each other with somehow the Rick Roll little little meme and little playful teasing with each other and so uh, apparently you've triggered a, a resurgence of this because oh, it's now i me. see it mm-hmm. everywhere it was mm-hmm. clearly you and it your was team. me just yes, my team just us yep so you were up there cleaning out my convert kit email list and <laughs> the only tag the only well someone has a tag i think maybe tag for some like media kit or something like this but really the only one that was like a custom one was Rickroll. For, for people who clicked on the Rickroll. So those of you that clicked on the Rickroll, I hope I don't feel like I've totally invaded your privacy. I've never used that information for, I forgot that I even did it, but kind of really tickled, tickled me a little bit. Yeah. And th- by the way, we're talking about ConvertKit. MailChimp is the one that other pe- that people will know and recognize. These are email service providers. And the reason that's important is if you are, say you're doing some speaking or you're you're an author and you are creating a bit of your own marketing platform, which is really smart if you're doing those kinds of things. Unless you are emailing only 10 or 15 people, you want to have that on a service that 
sends out emails on your behalf. If you're sending out a newsletter or an update or keep me informed, that kind of a thing, because your whatever service you're using, you can't send. You're, you're going to end up going into people's spam folders, and you're there's not a way that you can easily make sure that people don't all see each other on the distribution. So it's one thing if you're just emailing to your department or your team and your organization, but you if you're getting to any size beyond probably 15 or 20 people, you want to be using an email service provider. And we the reason we hesitated on moving to ConvertKit for Bonnie for a number of years is there was not a free tier. You It was an expense to pay for it. There now is a free tier. So, And I think the wonderful thing about ConvertKit is unlike MailChimp, that's targeted more toward small and medium-sized businesses and has lots of features that I think the average academic is probably never going to use or want. ConvertKit is really built for independent creators. And and I think academics would fall into that category of being probably the best option for an email service provider. And they have a free plan, so you can use it for a long time. And if you get past the free plan, that is a really good problem for you to have because it means you have a lot of people following your work. And the other service that is kind of like an email service, but a little bit more geared toward having people who financially support your work through your writing is Substack. And a number of people in higher education are using Substack and seem to be really liking it. I tend to prefer all other things being equal, a platform that I can easily move people back and forth between. So when I did move from MailChimp over to ConvertKit, that was a pretty seamless process. ConvertKit was more than happy to help facilitate that and provide an efficient way of doing that. Substack, it's kind of a little bit more feels like a locked-in It's designed from the ground up to allow independent writers and podcasters to publish directly to their audience and get paid through subscriptions. That's really what its main niche is. But it doesn't feel as friendly about moving people out of it. It doesn't feel like I own that as much as some of these other services, the transportability I'm just not as confident about. But I mean, a lot of people are doing it. I've recommended a lot of Substacks to people over time, and I follow many of them. And circling all the way back, by the way, to Seek and and, and all of that, I will subscribe to other people's Substacks instead of on my email address, on an email address that gets specifically generated by InnoReader, my RSS client, so that I don't have to have all those things coming into email. When I'm sitting down to consume my RSS feeds on InnoReader, all of those Substack and other kinds of email updates are all coming into specialized email addresses that put them in the correct folders of the different types of categories of things that I like to read. And of course, we share on our podcast, Bonnie. So that's we're doing that right now. And I do that on my podcast as well. But as to your point, sharing with yourself, I love that point from Harold Jarkia. I hadn't heard that before. I think that's a wonderful way to think about it as well, too. Like, what do I create just for me or maybe for a very small number of people if I share it at all? but that's useful to me in synthesizing what I've taken in in some way. Dave, before we get to the recommendations segment, we each get the pleasure of thanking today's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. Dave, we have been using Text Expander for ever and a day. A lot of years. What Text Expander does is allows you to easily create what they call snippets, little short series of text that you set up very easily that then expand, hence the name text 
expander, they expand out to things that are either hard for you to remember, like a telephone number, or things that are long. And you can also use text expander across teams and get greater consistency where you're all using the same verbiage. And what I think is really great is you can also have fillable fields. So at its most basic level, you could do something like dear so-and-so, and and then have that so-and-so pop up a window that has you type in the name of the person and other ways that you might wish to customize things like you might do for a letter of recommendation. And I even have things set up where it'll type in the name of a subject line in an email and then press tab so that it's now in a new, in the body of an email text. So there's all kinds of things you can do with Text Expander. I'm a huge fan, and Dave is too. I am. We've both used them for a long time. And I, I had heard Text Expander on, actually, ironically, uh, advertisements on podcasts before we used it. And I always, I heard about the snippets and all that, but I never really like conceptually put my mind around it. I don't know about you, but I just I, I couldn't understand, like, what is everyone so excited about with like this text expansion thing? And then I mean, it's really it's a super, super fancy copy and paste, but it's so smart about it because the speaking of how I use it every week when we get down to sharing what we were just talking about, I have one time listed out the template that I use for my weekly guides that I send out to all of our followers each week. And I type in. ZCFL coaching for leaders guide in onto the template and it automatically pastes in the entire template each week. It puts all my headers in, it puts in all the quote, it puts in all the formatting. And so anytime I'm updating that or I need to change the format, whatever reason, I go into Text Expander, I change the format. And then the next time I type in those that little snippet, then it automatically has updated it. And it saves I you can go in and you can see how much time it saved you every month. I and mean, it's always remarkable to me when I get the emails, like how many hours of time it saved. And one of the things that we've said before is that it's really helpful to automate the things that are just not good uses of time. Like, for example, you sent out a template of something a month ago to your department or whatever, and you have to go back and find the old email and track it down and then copy and paste. Why not like automate that piece of it? So you could then spend more time really finding, doing the sense-making, right? Really finding the right resource. I know you use it for letters of recommendation for students. There's, what, 30 or 40% of every letter of recommendation that's pretty much the same, or there's a format that you're going to say very similar things, and you're really going to spend your time on the the things that are really personal, the couple paragraphs that really speak specifically to that student. And so you use Texas Banner to automate the part that's going to be very similar. And then that allows you, I think, to spend more time on really creating the personal aspect of each letter that is really meaningful to the students and is going to help hopefully be helpful to them. So it's a wonderful service and we both recommend it really strongly. Thanks so much to Text Expander for sponsoring today's episode. I encourage all of you to head over to textexpander.com slash podcasts. And you can learn more about the service and take advantage of a special deal for teaching and higher ed listeners. This is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. I have one television series and I have one movie that I would like to recommend. So I don't know, are we seeking, sensing, or sharing at this point? Maybe all three. So the first one I wanted to recommend, a friend from college 
She has never let me down. I have known her for decades now. She's never let me down. And once again, her recommendation held up. It is for a television series called Bad Sisters. It plays on the Apple TV Plus service. And I want to let people know you could just sign up for a single month and you don't even have to have like a MacBook or anything like that. I mean, or Apple TV, you can just sign up for the service and it's only $5 a month. And so you could get take care of your Ted Lasso, which I've recommended on past episodes. I still hold to that. And then you could also check out Bad Sisters. So I'm reading now from the description. The series follows the Garvey sisters who are bound together by the death of their parents and a promise to always protect each other. Such good acting. It's it's at times funny. It's at times a drama. It's satirical. It's wonderful. The sisters are so close. I mean, it just, it totally captured me. And it was a very binge-worthy experience. Highly recommend Bad Sisters on the Apple TV service. And then also on the Apple TV service, I didn't plan this, but hey, if you're going to spend your $5 and here you're going to maximize it, my second and final recommendation is is a movie that is a Christmas movie. And I'm not really that even that big on Christmas movies, but I saw it and and I saw the preview and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to check this out. And I'm super glad that I did. The movie is called Spirited and it stars Will Ferrell. And it is also not like one of my favorite things, A Christmas Carol. So it is a take, a modern take on A Christmas Carol, by the way, has great music. It's, it's kind of like a musical and it's just delightful. I watched it and just just found it captivating, even though I'm not a huge fan of the Ghost of Christmas Past, Present, Future kind of thing. Feels like it's been done a lot. It was done in a fresh, new way, and I loved it, and I highly recommend it. And the songs have still been playing on the soundtrack in my mind since I watched it four or five or six days ago or something like that. Those are my two recommendations, and Dave, I will pass it over to you for yours. Well, since you have said the word Christmas and it being around the holidays, I will recommend trying out a smart home plug. Many of us have smartphones now that have home automation things built in, whether you're using Android or iPhone. And there is a really cool company called Miros, and it is spelled M-E-R-O-S-S, I believe. I'm looking it up here to make sure I'm saying that right. Yes, M-E-R-O-S-S. And you can buy the these little smart switches. They're fairly inexpensive. And you can plug them in around your home and then connect them with whatever home service you're using. Check when you buy it to make sure it supports whatever you're using, Amazon or Apple or Google or whatever. And then you can, with your phone, say to whatever smart device or you use, if it's Apple's, well, I won't say the name so it doesn't yeah, trigger don't, people's don't do it, don't things. Do it, but, don't do it. Or whatever the home <laughs> home device you have that you may talk to, then it will. You could say, "Hey, turn on the Christmas tree, or turn on the outside lights, or whatever you've plugged that plug into," and it automatically goes on. It automatically goes off, and you can even go as far as to set it like we have in our house to automatically turn on the exterior lights at sunset every night. And because it's all automated, it adjusts for as sunset adjusts every day to turn off and turn on and it is super fun to just see that all work magically. And the devices have become much more stable and usable and user-friendly and inexpensive in recent years than they were several years ago. So if you haven't played around with that a bit, it's a fun 
stocking stuffer or some other holiday gift. Dave, thank you for coming to Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm curious how many total episodes you have been on now. Quite a few. A lot. Quite a few. And I know many dozens over the years. Many. I know we'll be having you back again. Today's episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stahoviak. It was edited by the ever talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by the amazing Sierra Smith. Thanks to each of you for listening. If you have yet to subscribe to the weekly update, which I mentioned earlier, head over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You won't regret it. And you'll see sharing as it's happening. Yes, you will. Because you are putting together all of this each week in real time on great links and resources. So there you go. There's your inspiration. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.